You can't stay in the same spot and expect things to take place of what God's promises are for you. You have to have you have to put action to it. Change is actually an action word. Change means to move, means to to grow, to move. Things have to to change when a caterpillar um, changes into a butterfly. Things the process has to happen. So during the process, change takes place. And so what God actually woke me up with this morning was the view of a mountain. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes our process is hard. The, the track to, through our process is hard. The, the, the trail, the treading of it all is hard. Walking it out is hard. But this is what he said to me, and I'm going to read it because I had, to, I had to jot it down. The best view comes from the hardest climb. Think about climbing that mountain and being at the top. That was hard to do. Your body, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And then getting to the top of that mountain, the best view comes from the hardest climb. Joy comes in looking away from the hard thing that you just finished and looking toward the beauty you would have never seen without the climb. So just think about that for a minute. When you're going through something, when you get to the finish line of that process, of that process, because we all know processes are going to keep going and going and going, but when you finish that process, that one particular climb, and you're looking back on what God put you through to get there, and then you see the glory and the beauty and the joy of it all from standing at the top of that mountain, breathtaking view taking your breath away and thanking him for everything that he just saw you through. That's where your joy comes from. So when you surrender to the climb and take those steps up that mountain as God grows you through it all, you're stepping right into the footprints of our miracle maker. Because why? Because he goes before you. He paves the path that you have to take. And all we have to do is surrender and follow. Amen. So if you have your tithes and you want to go ahead and bring them forward, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the path that you have us on. We thank you for the climbs that we make. Lord, we thank you for for the hard things that you put in our path, Lord God. We know that joy comes in the morning, and there's a new morning every day, and we know that you are going to be in our midst, Lord. Thank you for the people who are here tonight, Lord. Bless them, bless their families, and lead them, Lord God. Let them have an ear to hear, Lord, and their hearts open to the word that's going to be uh, given tonight by Pastor Carl. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory. You know, I thank God for the hard climb sometimes. We don't thank God for the, tr the trials and the tests that we go through, but we thank God knowing that he's with us through the climb. He's with us as we take one step forward on our spiritual journey. We don't have to walk alone. We got a mighty God, a king of kings that lives inside of us. 
Lord, we just come to you and we thank you tonight, Heavenly Father. We thank you for being with us on this journey. We thank you for leading us, guiding us, instructing us, correcting us, Lord God. We thank you, Father, that you set our feet on the path of righteousness, that you keep our feet on the trail. Lord, we thank you that your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Heavenly Father, we ask you to come tonight and let help me to expound, help me to release this word as you delivered it to me, Father. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise you, Lord. You know, it, it doesn't matter who's the president, who's the governor, who's the mayor, who's the police chief. It doesn't matter who your boss is, but we know that Jesus is king. We know that we serve King Jesus. It doesn't matter who's in authority over us because we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And God will cause favor and blessings to shine upon us in the most strenuous circumstances. So Jesus is king. When we get a realization that we serve king of kings and lord of lords, the word says his name is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, king of kings, lord of lords. We serve the Almighty Father. His name is above every name. His name is above every name. We serve the mighty Jesus. When we get a realization of that, we get a new perspective on life. Life becomes easier. The, the process becomes easier to tolerate, easier to walk as we get a new perspective that, that we're in the kingdom of God. All the apostles came and they said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is close as our hand. It lives inside of us. Jesus lives inside of us. As we come onto the scene, the kingdom of heaven is inside of us. The new Jerusalem, the heavenly temple is where the Bible says the new Jerusalem is where Jesus resides. And we know that the Holy Spirit resides in us. So I want to talk to you about some areas in our life that are evident inside of us when Jesus is king, when Jesus is king of our life. We don't want to leave anything on the table. When you go through a deal, a negotiation, or, or business, that there's a term that they call leaving it on the table. When you sell something and you, you could have sold it for more, you left money on the table. We don't want to leave this earth with reservations of we should have, we could have, we would have unveiled it, unlocked it, unleashed it. We want to fulfill all the plans and purposes that we were predestined to walk in. So we need to see Jesus as king to fulfill these plans and these purposes. We need to serve Jesus as king. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is king. What do we do when Jesus is king? We get things in order. If, if our mother-in-laws or our in-laws were coming to the house, if our parents were coming to the house, if Jesus was coming to our house, we would get things totally in order. So when we serve Jesus as king, we have to get our life in order. These things I want to share are evident in our life when Jesus is king. The first thing when Jesus is king is we get a godly perspective. When Jesus is king, we get a godly perspective. Life, our life, we get a 
perspective on our life, on the things we face, on the things we're going through, we have to see it from God's eyes. We have to see it as God sees it. Just as Donna was saying, the hardest part of the climb is getting to the top of the mountain. But when you're on that climb, sometimes we don't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes all we see is the trees because of the circumstances that we're walking through. But once you get to the top of the mountain, you see mountain ranges. You see other peaks. You see the forest. You, you see other s states. I know we, we went to Rock City in Tennessee, and you could see like seven states, they said, on a clear day. But you get a whole different perspective. When the Spirit of God lives inside of us, He gives us a different pers perspective. All the tests that we go through, all the trials that we go through, all the winds of adversities that we face, we see it from God's perspective. Perspective is a vantage point, a reference point. Perspective is where you see things from. If we see things from our heavenly eyes, then we're only looking from a human perspective. But if we see things through the spiritual eyes that lives inside of us, we see things through a godly perspective. It changes our attitude. It changes our mindset. It changes our outlook on things when we see things from a heavenly perspective. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 2.10. I mean, go to 2.9. It says, But we know that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for him. But God, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, when we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that, we have, that have been freely given to us by God, these things we also speak, not in words which is man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Notice the natural man does not receive the things of God. But if God lives inside of us, we're not natural. If God lives inside of us, we're spiritual beings. We're supernatural beings. We've passed the, the realm of naturalism. We've be, went beyond the, the, the natural, and we have the supernatural living inside of us. It enables us to do things that we couldn't do in the natural, in the normal, in the common. It enables us to move beyond that. And when that spirit lives in us, he gives us revelation of a different perspective. He lets us see things from a godly perspective, from a heavenly perspective. We see things differently. Lord, I just ask that you open our spiritual eyes and give us a heavenly perspective that we see people differently. We see ourselves differently. We see situations differently. We see your word differently. Lord, there's a whole spiritual insight that you want to awaken inside of each and, every one, each and every one of us. And it's a godly perspective, a heavenly perspective, because Jesus is king. Because Jesus is king. Perspective. Perspective is what perspective is what was revealed to the prophet's servant 
Elijah's servant. When Elijah's servant woke up, he ran and he seen all the enemy surrounded him. All the Assyrians were surrounding Elijah and Elijah's servant. And he ran and he told Elijah, the enemy surrounds us. And Elijah stopped and he prayed and he said, Lord God, open my servant's eyes. Let my servant see what he needs to see. And the next time the servant looked back, he saw the enemy all around him. But beyond the enemy, he saw bands of angels coming down the mountain and chariots of fire. He saw the true perspective of what was going on. They weren't surrounded by the enemy. They were surrounded by the enemy. But the enemy was surrounded by myriads of angels. God was fixing to deliver the enemy into Elijah and his servants' hands. And that's exactly what happened. If you read further in the story, God blinded the enemy. And then Elijah and his servant brought him into the camp, fed him, and released him. And they never seen the Assyrian raiders again. God took care of it. And God showed the servant from a heavenly perspective. He opened his spiritual eyes. The true situation wasn't that the enemy was surrounding them. The true situation was God had surrounded the enemy and was fixing to deliver them into their hand. Are we looking at the problem or are we looking at the promises of God? Are we looking at the enemy or are our focus on the angels that's surrounding us and surrounding the enemy? God sends angels to help us. And I, I, I know a lot of people want to see angels and say they saw angels and all of that's good. And, you know, but, but it's so much of a spiritual realm. We're more spirit beings than we are human beings. We're more, God knew us before we were formed, even in our mother's womb. So God knew us in eternity. And yet here we are on earth, and our life is 70 to 100 and 120 or whatever years old. And then we're going back to eternity. So we're more spiritual beings than we are human beings. We're more supernatural than we are human. So we have to live this life like a supernatural being. We have to get a heavenly perspective because Jesus is king. As I said, there's a, a big picture in every trial, in every test, in every challenge, in every wind of adversity. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture than what we're going through. We have to see the trial. We have to find God in what we're going through. We have to see God in what we're going through. We have to know that what we're going through is going to strengthen us. It's going to build us. It's going to encourage us. It's going to grow us. It's going to challenge us. And we know that Romans 8:28 says, For all things work together for the good, for those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. So knowing that scripture and standing on that scripture and believing it, we know that there's a big picture, a bigger perspective than what we see in front of us. The second thing when Jesus is king is we'll become a person of prayer. We'll become a prayer warrior. We'll become an intercessor when Jesus is king living on the inside of us. We develop a relationship with him. We begin to pray. You know, God hears the desperate cries of his children. And when we pray and when we worship, our, our prayers and our worship goes up before God as in, in, incense aroma a sweet aroma to his nose i heard a guy talking the other day he was from saigon city in vietnam and in saigon city in vietnam there's a incense factory they they 
prepare and create incense. And there's always incense burning. Also in Saigon City, there's a fish market, and it smells putrid. If you've ever been around a fish market, there's fish, and they smell fishy. And it smells putrid because there's a lot of rotten fish. I mean, it doesn't take long for fish that's not on ice to start smelling. And it smells pretty fishy. But, but even though there's that fish market, there's that incense factory. And when you walk in Saigon City, you smell the incense. Because even just a small amount of incense, your sense of smell is directed toward that smell. Your sense of smell, and in your mind, you say, wow, that's incense. That smells good. And it just takes a little bit of incense to cover a fish factory. And our prayer goes up to God as incense. It goes up to a sweet aroma. When we pray, when we're, when we're sons of God, when Jesus is king, when we pray, there's billions and billions and billions of prayers going up to God all at the same time. But they go up as incense, and he says, that's my son. That's Donald. That's Tim, that's Donna, that's Miss Terry. They're praying. And even though all those billions of prayers going up, God sense, God knows that that's us praying. And our, our prayers go up as a sweet aroma to God. So we have to pray. We have to become prayer warriors when Jesus is king. If our child would come to us or our wife would come to us or our boss would come to us, and say, I have something very important i got to tell you. We would make time for them. We would make time to hear them. And when Jesus is king, he's saying, I have something very important to tell you. I have something very important I want to share with you. And we have to make time with him. And making time with God is praying. We pray. We, we communicate with him, and he communicates with us. He wants to tell us about our identity. He wants to tell us how much he loves us, how much we're the apple of his eye, that we're a holy generation, a royal nation, a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the apple of his eye. He wants to tell us our true identity, not what the world would place on us, but it comes through prayer and revelation and reading God's word that he unveils our true identity. He wants to give us insight. He wants to tell us what's coming around the bend, what's fixing to happen, you know, God will do that when we pray. He'll give us revelation sometime and say, you know, something big is coming. You need to really be in prayer. Something big is coming, and we'll know in our heart, we'll know in our spirit that we need to press in in prayer. He wants to give us instruction sometimes in prayer and instruct us on what we need to do next. Even intellect and wisdom we learn through prayer. God, God gives us wisdom. He says, you have, if, if you need wisdom, ask for wisdom, and I'll not give it liberally. I'll give it liberally. If we need wisdom, ask for wisdom. That's praying. God gives us wisdom and intellect when we pray. I wonder how many times that I went through things in my life that if I would have bathed it in prayer, it would have been easier. How many times did I go through things in the flesh when I could have went through it in the spirit? How many times should I have bathed it in prayer? Pastor Butch is starting something with the prayer warriors, with the intercessors at church. They're going to be on a, on a rotation to pray, and they're going to pray about specific things, and they're going to be focused, and we're going to start bathing things in prayer because when we bathe things in prayer, it changes the situation. It changes the outcome. When we pray, something happens. Things happen when we, when we begin to pray, but we got to begin to pray. So many people think, man, if I would have just 
knew about that, I would have prayed about it. But they never start praying. When I was with Bethany, we asked Dr. David Yonggi Cho, who is one of the pastors in South Korea. He owned, he, he's over a mega church. They have 834,000 members, claim to be members. Thank God we don't have that many right here. <laughs> Lord, send us. But 834,000, wow. You know, I love a small church. I love a small church atmosphere. I don't, somebody asked me, how many members do you want going to your church? I want, I want just as many as I can know, just as many as I can develop a relationship with. And we'll focus on growing those members and giving those what they need and loving those people. Because when you have that many members, how do you know them? How do you love them? Where are they at? Too many people going to church, they can hide. They can't develop an accountable relationship. You can go to church and you might as well went to McDonald's and sat in McDonald's and get the same thing with too many people at church. I want people that I can look at, that I can love, that I can touch, that could be part of their lives. But so we asked this guy, Dr. Cho, how often, how, how much time do you put in prayer? He said, you know, he said, I don't pray usually more than five or ten minutes. He said, but I don't go five or ten minutes without praying. He said, I don't pray longer than five or ten minutes, but I don't go five or ten minutes without praying. That's what the Bible says, pray without ceasing. We can pray without ceasing. Sometimes that's hard to do. You know, sometimes our job won't permit it because we have to think about what we're doing. But the spirit inside of us can pray, and we don't have to think about it when the spirit prays. We can shandabra, kasandaraba, shurubu, shandai, and we don't even have to think about what we're doing sometimes. If we just hum, if we start singing a spiritual song in our mind, that's communion with God. That's praying. That's relating with God. That's developing that relationship. And we can stay in the spirit. Even though we're working in the flesh, we don't have to think about it, but we can stay in the spirit, and that's praying without ceasing. I was coming back from work one day, and I was listening to the radio, and I was listening to country music. This was a while back, not now. But <laughs> I love music. I love country music. I mean, there's some great country music artists out there. There's some wonderful songs that are real close to religious songs, and there's some songs on 92.7 that sh probably shouldn't be on there. But I was listening to the radio, and then I went to oldies to rock, and then I probably went to hard rock, and I probably went to rap. And I just love music. And then all of a sudden, I just kept hitting the scan button, and it went to 92.7 K-Love. And immediately, I started speaking in tongues. Immediately. Because I had worked hard all day long. But the spirit inside of me yearned for prayer. It yearned for relationship. It, learned, it yearned for God. And immediately, and that spoke to me so much. All the time that I wasted, I was almost home, and I had listened to the radio all the way home, and I hadn't prayed. I hadn't talked to God. I was still thinking about work, and I was into the music. And all of a sudden, I started praying, and I was like, you know, that music wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It wasn't gangster rap. It didn't have a lot of curse words, all of that stuff. But look at all the time I wasted when God wanted to speak to me, when I wanted to speak to God, when the spirit inside of me wanted to speak to God. And all that time I wasted without praying, coming home from work when I could have been praying. We came in here, and y'all might have heard this story before. We, we came to church. We came prayed up. We came ready to receive God. Well, that's how we should come to church, prayed up, ready to receive God. But it was a Thursday. 
I wasn't preaching. Pastor Butch was preaching. It had been a busy day at work. One of those days where you work through lunch, you work through break, you got all of these problems, all of these people's. The phone rang all the way to church. I wasn't able to pray. Got up on the platform. And as soon as the, the musicians started tuning up, I seen the glory of God filling the building. I seen a smoke coming between me and the doors back here. And I thought the building was on fire. That was my first thought. And so I sniffed. I was like, well, I don't smell anything. So I thought it was my eyes. So I started rubbing my eyes, and I looked, and I still seen it. Because it's natural. It's human. That's the human thing. But there was a spiritual fire going on. I thought the building was on fire, but it was a spiritual fire that was kindling. And out of that, God spoke to me. And he said, I've longed all day long for this time with you. God longs for time with us. And how often do we waste it? How often do we listen to things that we could be listening to something better or doing things where we could be using our time better? So when Jesus is king, we pray. We're praying people. We need to pray more often. A lot of people say, why do we have to pray if God knows the intents and thoughts and desires of our heart? Why do we have to pray? Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed for us, and he prayed to the Heavenly Father. Jesus prayed in the garden, and he stole away by himself, and he prayed on the mountain. And Jesus prayed in the desert. Jesus prayed. How can we not pray? He was our example. He taught us to pray. I can stand here and give you testimony and testimony and testimony of answers to my prayers. God has done the miraculous, not through my prayers, but through a lot of people in here. We've seen God do mighty miracles. My cousin has cancer, and it's all over her body, and her tongue swole up, and she couldn't speak. And she came to a healing service at church. And her tongue went down, and she was able to speak, and she went to work the next day. And God's doing a healing in her. My sister, the doctors didn't expect her to live. She's in the hospital with a tumor the size of a grapefruit. And all kind of things were going on. They said she wouldn't even get strong enough to give her chemotherapy. And we went up there, and we prayed and believed God and said, you will not die. You will live. And she's doing better now. She's recovering they're fixing to go in and get the tumor out, and we believe in God for a mighty miracle. That was an answer to prayer. That was an answer to prayer. Donna's cousin Ty was in the hospital in Mississippi, and we took off and we left Bible college that, that Saturday, and we went and we prayed for him. He was unconscious when we got there. He wasn't even in this world. He was in another world. He wasn't expected to live. And I told the family and I told Donna, just give me some time with him. And we, we started praying, and we started interceding, and he woke up. He woke up and started speaking to us. And I told him, if you just believe God and trust God, God will heal you and give your life to God and know that it's him that healed you from this. He said, I want some water. I'm thirsty. <laughs> Remember that? He said, I'm thirsty. If you drink from him, you'll never thirst again. If you drink from God, you'll never thirst again. God answers prayers when we, Jesus is king. When we are sons of God and we pray, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. 
We need to turn up our prayer life. Look at your neighbor and say, turn it up. Turn it up. Turn it up because Jesus is king. The third thing, when Jesus is king, the potential will be released inside of us. The potential will be released inside of us. We have to increase our capacity for a successful harvest. We have to turn it up on the potential that's inside of us. I look around the room tonight and I see people, but I see you in the spiritual realm. And God has placed so much potential in your life, so much potential to do the mighty works of God. And he wants to do things in you, on you, and through you. But we have to release the potential. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. With that scripture alone, we have enormous potential inside of us. Enormous potential. In Japan, there's a koi fish. I don't know if y'all heard of koi fishes. Koi fishes? Koi fish. In Japan, there's a koi fish. If you put the koi fish in a fish bowl, he'll grow to four inches long. If you take that koi fish out and you put him in a, a small fish tank, he'll grow to eight inches long. If you take that koi fish and you put him in a pond, he'll grow to 18 inches long. If you put him in a lake, he'll grow to 42 inches long. That's a big fish. That's a big fish. But the koi fish, in every koi fish, there's potential to be a 42-inch long fish. But he's stunted to four inches by his environment. By his environment. We're the same way. If we stay in our comfort zone, if we're not exposed and challenged to things that are beyond our capabilities, we're stunted in the spirit. But when we're exposed to things, when we're challenged, when we're strengthened, when we come out of our comfort zone, God takes the potential inside of us and he releases the potential. When we lean on him, when we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If we don't come out of our comfort zone, if we don't stop allowing fear to stop us, then we'll never grow to our full potential. Donna and I went to see a movie the other week. It was Pets 2. I don't know if y'all seen that movie. But, but in that movie, there's a, a dog. And the dog is afraid of everything. He's afraid of the city. He's afraid of going outside. He's afraid of his water bowl. He's afraid of other dogs. This little dog is afraid of everything. And in the movie, in fact, he was so afraid that he developed a nervous titch and he, twitch and he started scratching and scratching so his owner brought him to the vet and he was afraid of the vet and he was afraid of the animals in the vet so he brought him to the vet and they put a cone on him a cone of shame so they put the cone of shame on the little dog and it stopped him from scratching but it didn't help him overcome his fears so the owner brought him to visit some relatives on a farm and on that farm there was a dog that was a farm dog it was a country dog that that farm dog would make sure everything was in its place. It would protect the sheep from foxes that was coming. It would protect the, the cattle. It would herd the cattle. I mean, this was a country dog. And he seen the little dog and he said, what's that thing on your head? And he said, well, I, I, had, I was afraid of everything and the vet put this on me because I, I needed it because I was afraid of everything. So I went to the doctor, to the vet, and this is what he gave me. And 
the farm dog grabbed him and picked him up by the cone and shook him out, and he said, you're healed, hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, that easy. But, but what that farm dog did was after that, he kind of took him under his wing, and he started exposing him to things that he was afraid of. He started challenging him, and he started encouraging him and telling him, you can do this, you can do this. And the little dog overcame his fears. And right after that, David Hogan came. And the dog, the farm dog's name was Rooster. And I told Donna, I said, David Hogan's like a rooster. I mean, we see him as fearless. The stories that he came and he brought on the mission field, the things that he was exposed to. I mean, he would hike 14 miles to pray for this guy that had leprosy. And he would stick his hand in the leprosy and pray for him and then throw up and then pray some more and then throw up some more. And then he went back and the guy was healed. But all of these, these stories of witch doctors and things that he was exposed to, and I was looking at him like, man, he's like that farm dog rooster. <laughs> you know, this dude is for real. And, but God spoke to me. He said, if you don't get out of your comfort zone and start doing things that I've called you to do, you'll be stunted like a koi fish to four inches, and you won't grow into the full potential that I have for you to fulfill the plans and purposes that you're predestined to walk in. So we have to, we have to fulfill the potential that's inside of us. And when Jesus is king, we will fulfill our potential. When Jesus is king. And just like that farm dog took the little city dog and helped him to overcome his fear, we need to get disciples. We need to get people and help them overcome their fear. Pastor Butch took me, and I was a sound man, no offense, sound man, love you guys, y'all doing a wonderful job, but... I would hide in the sound booth, literally. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to see people. I didn't want people praying for me. In fact, I just wanted to get there and run sound and leave. That's all I wanted. And now here I am preaching in front of people. Now here I am pastoring a church. But all I wanted to do was run sound. But he pulled me out. And he started challenging me. And he started stretching me. And he started encouraging me and saying, no, you were called for more than that. God put more than that inside of you. You've been here too long to be sitting there. Come on out and face your fears. And then I started doing what he called me to do. And I, I, here I am today. And I still love to run sound. But for a different reason now, not just to hide. That was my comfort zone. I didn't want to come out of there. I didn't want to have to be exposed. I didn't want to have to be challenged and stretched and grown. Because that's where I was at the time. But I knew I was called to do more than that. We have enormous potential inside of us. But if that potential is not being challenged, if it's not being stretched, We'll never be what God created us to be. We were designed to unveil, unlock, and unleash the power of God. We were designed to unveil, unlock, and unleash what God placed inside of us. I want everybody to say with me, Heavenly Father, release my potential. Heavenly Father, show me my potential. God wants you to know that there's huge potential inside of you. And all we have to do is tap into it. 
All we have to do is press in and come out of our comfort, comfort zone and tap into what God has ordained for us, and we'll receive the promises of God. Once we receive the promises of God, and Donna spoke a little about, about receiving, there's a time where you are in a season of revelation, and God gives you a revelation of the promises. God gave me a revelation when I was in the sound booth that I was called to more than that. It was prophesied on me all while I was coming up and I was running. I was doing like Jonah. I got on a ship, was heading across the ocean, and got thrown into the sea and a fish ate me. And here I am. But I was running. But there was a season of revelation. And then there's a season of receiving. And you start receiving the promises of God and the blessings of God and the favor of God. But what do you do with those promises? The Bible says, we can go to 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. God blesses what seed? God blesses the seed that is sown. God multiplies the seed that is sown. You see, we can take the promises and we can do nothing. We can take seed and we can sit on the seed and do nothing. Or we could take seed and we can eat the seed and it benefits us and that's it. Or we can take the seed, we can take the promises of God and release that into the lives of our family, release that into the lives of our friends, release that into our congregation in the body of Christ, and it grows a mighty harvest. So God blesses the seed that was sown. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown. God multiplies the seed that we've sown. So we have to release the promises of God into the lives of others. And that's the potential inside of us as we release it. We have to die to ourselves. We have to realize that it's not about you, boo. We have to realize it's not about us. We die to ourselves. Just like when I got married, I died to myself. It was no longer about what I wanted to eat, what I wanted to do, what time did I want to get up, where I wanted to work. Now I had a princess to take care of. Now I had somebody that I'm going to be accountable to God when I get to heaven. And she was his daughter before she was my wife, so I better take care of her. So I had to die to myself. And that's all about taking care of her and doing what God's called me to do. So we die to ourselves. And we don't let fear stop the potential that God's put inside of us. We don't, we're still afraid sometimes, but we don't let the fear stop the potential that God's placed inside of us. So when Jesus is king, when Jesus is king, first we get a new perspective. Then we become prayer warriors. We become intercessors. Then we release the potential. And the fourth thing when Jesus is king is we have to be positive. We become positive people when Jesus is king of our lives. When, when King David, he wasn't king at the time, when young boy David saw Goliath, he went onto the battlefield to see his brothers, and he heard Goliath ranting and raving and speaking curses against Israel. And King David could have been intimidated, or he could have felt inadequate. He could have thought, Lord, I'm not prepared for this. Let the big guys handle it. Or he could have felt fear and scared and anxiety, which I'm sure he did to a little bit. But David was, David was positive. He could have seen Goliath and said, he's so big. 
and then ran away and feared for his life. But he knew that God was with him. And when he saw Goliath, he said, he's so big. And with God and this little rock, I can't miss his big fat head. And he went and he attacked him and he killed him. Because he was positive, because Jesus is king. Because Jesus is king. Because he served a mighty God, king of kings and lord of lords. And he didn't let Goliath stop him. He was positive. Joshua and Caleb, the 12 spies that went into the, the promised land. There were 12 spies went in. 10 of them came out. And they said, we're like grasshoppers to them. But Joshua and Caleb came out and says, no, we can take the land. We can take the land. It's just as it was said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. There was grapes the size that two men had to put it on a pole and carry it back. And the people wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb at the time because they were positive. Because they were positive. And they said that the giants are like bread to us. In other words, God's going to give us the land. God will provide for us by the hand of our enemy. God will provide by the hand of our enemy. They were positive because they believed that they served a mighty God. So when we believe that Jesus is king and we serve a mighty God and he's king of kings, it creates an optimis optimism. I worked with a guy who was negative, pessimistic, hard to work with. And I told him one day, I said, you're pessimistic. He said, no, I'm a realist. Okay. Well, I couldn't argue with that. He was a realist. But you know what? I'm going to err on the side of optimism because I'm going to believe the promises of God and I'm going to stand on God's word and I'm going to believe God is true and what he promises is yes and amen. What are you believing for today? Finances? We have lacking finances, some of us. Relationships? Relationships to be restored? Relationships to come? Lost loved ones? Kids, kids that have went wayward, healing in our family. We have so much to be positive for. We have so much to believe God for. The Holy Spirit's putting something on your heart right now that you're believing God for. And God's saying, just believe, believe, stand on my promises, stand on my word and believe and see it come into fruition. The fifth thing when Jesus is king is expect God's provision. When Jesus is king, we have to expect God's provision. Our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's rich. Jesus is king, and we're citizens of the kingdom, but he's also daddy. He's also father, father God, Abba Father. Yes, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he'll give us the desires of our heart. His desire, Jesus, God's heart desi heart's desire is to give us the desires of our heart. And he says, you have not because you ask not. Have we asked? Have we asked God in every area? And if we do ask, we have to stand and believe and be patient and wait for God to unfold it. Because he will. He places us as stewards over everything he has. We were created to watch over everything that he has. I want to tell you a story. 
about a man in the airport. I spent a lot of times in airports traveling. And this is a story. I didn't see this happen. But it's a good story. So this man was hungry. And he was traveling through the airport one day. He, and so he decided to stop and get him something to eat. So he stopped at one of the little restaurants. He got him some coffee and a bag of donuts. And the airport was busy, so he was going to sit down. And he noticed there was no table that was available for him to sit by himself. So he, he seen a table where this one guy was sitting. And he figured, well, I'll go sit with him. And that's common. That happens. I've done that many a time, sat before with guys we get to talking about life and about our family and about our kids and showing each other kids, you know, pictures and all of that stuff. And that's common. So he went to sit down. He put his coffee on the table. He took off his coat and he put his coat on the chair. And he put his briefcase down. And he sat down. He sat down, looked at the guy, shook his head. How you doing? You know. He pulled out his paper, took a sip of his coffee. Reached over, grabbed a donut, and he started eating it. All of a sudden, the guy on the other side of the table reached in, grabbed a donut, looked at the guy and smiled, and started eating it. Well, the guy thought, what audacity this guy has. It, what, what's the matter with this guy? So he grabbed his bag of donuts and pulled it to the side and turned his body like a body posture saying, this is my donuts. Don't mess with my donuts. He straightened out his paper, and he, he grabbed another donut, and he started eating it. Well, all of a sudden, the guy on the other side of the table stood up, grabbed a donut, sat back down, and started eating it. And he smiled at him. And the guy thought, what a jerk. What's the matter? He, he wanted to fight the guy. You know, he thought, I probably ought to punch this guy. But, but the guy may be violent. Maybe the guy was just one fry short of a Happy Meal. You know, one banana short of a fruit basket. So he, he withheld himself and was reserved. And then the guy, it was time for his flight, so he got up and he walked off. And the guy thought, what a jerk. You know, this donut-eating thief, what, what's the matter with him? So the guy looked at his watch, and it was time for him to get up. So he put on his coat, and he reached down to grab his briefcase, and he noticed his bag of donuts sitting on top of his suitcase. <laughs> the whole time, the guy was sharing his donuts with him with a smile. And he thought it was his donuts. He thought it was his donuts. And he was sharing with him with a smile. Do you know God owns all the donuts? <laughs> God owns all the donuts. We think about tithe and Donna talked about tithe this morning we think about tithe and we think man God asked for 10 percent 10 percent he wants 10 percent of the 100 percent that's already his God owns at any time God could take his 10 donuts and walk away but he allows us to eat all nine of the donuts and all he wants is one all he wants is one God owns all of the donuts let's look at Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 The point is God owns all of the donuts. Let's see. I don't know where I'm at in my notes. Let's see. Maybe the glasses will help. Malachi 3. I want to talk about 
five things that we have to get first in our life. When Jesus is king, there are five things, and these are the last five things, and I'll be closing shortly. Not yet. It's still a good ways off, but I'm just preparing you. I'm going to land the plane eventually, but it's coming. So the first, the first of the five things that we have to get in order in our life, we're going to use the word first as an acronym. The first letter of first is F. The first thing we have to get first in our life, we have to put God first in our life, is finances. 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 We hear finances, we think, oh, Lord. In fact, I mentioned Malachi 3.10, and Mr. Dan says, uh-oh. <laughs> Here we go. Pastor's talking about finances. I want you to know that I'm not a preacher asking you for money. I'm a pastor telling you you can't afford not to get God first in your finances. You can't afford not to. Malachi 3.10, bring all of the tithes into my storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. And another version says, prove me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough for you to receive. We have to get God's, we have to put God first in our finances. The Bible says that where a man's treasure is there is his heart also there shall his heart be also where a man's treasure is there shall his heart be also do we have God first in our finances you know when me and Donna made a decision to put God first in our finances we were tithing already kind of tithe means 10 percent we were giving God as much as we could with what we could and it wasn't quite 10 percent but we made a decision okay let's do this we're going to give God 10%. We had just gotten married, so we were still establishing order and everything. You know, who wears the pants, who's cooking supper, who's doing the clothes, who's doing the laundry. That'd be me, everything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, baby. I'm just kidding. Finances, though. The, man, the man's job is over the finances, at least in my family. So I told Donna, I said, just let me take care of the finances. She said, that's fine, but as long as you tithe. I respected that in her. So we began to tithe. And I tell you, my credit score came up 300 points from when we started to tithe in just a matter of months. We wanted to buy a house, but with our credit, both of us just getting married, there was no way we could buy a house. And all of a sudden, our credit score shot up 300 points. And we wanted to buy a house because we wanted to be close to Pastor Butch and River Addis so we could be a faithful, available, teachable, and humble. We wanted to be right there under his wing. So we began to tithe, and God opened the door for us to buy a house. God opened the door for us to, to adequately pay all of our bills. Not that we live in high on, on the hog, but God's made everything to where we're comfortable just from tithing. So God wants us to be, to be first. God wants to be first in our finances because he owns all of the donuts. God owns all of the donuts. And he lets us use them, and he lets us eat them as long as we're faithful, as long as we're faithful. So the first thing in the word first is the letter F, and it's finances. The second thing that we have to put God first in is our interest, the letter I for interest. So first, finances. Second is interest. What interests you? What captivates you? What do you read, search the Google, the Internet about? 
What do you surf the internet about? What do you talk to people about? What, what captivates your interest? God wants to be first in our interest. You know, there was a time where I was into bow hunting. And the more I read about bow hunting, the more I wanted to go bow hunting, the more I wanted more expensive bows, the more I wanted better bows, the more I wanted to go on these more expensive hunting trips. And I was captivated by it. There was a time that I was captivated with airplanes and jets. And the more I would read about it, the more I would study about it, the more I would think about it, the more it would captivate me. How much time do we spend thinking about God, thinking about God's ways, thinking about God's promises in prayer? You know, are we captivated by God? Is God our interest? Are we interested in God? How much does God interest us? You know, when, when, when you're, when you spend hours reading about hunting and about fishing and about golfing and about baseball and about football and about basketball and all of that's good because God wants us to have hobbies. God wants us to live. God doesn't want us to just totally not do life. He wants us to enjoy ourselves. But, but when you put hunting and fishing and golfing and boats and four-wheelers in front of God and never open a Bible, then there's something wrong. Then God's not interested in you enough. Then you need to go back to prayer and develop the relationship and cultivate the relationship to where God takes first priority in our interest. God wants us to enjoy ourselves, but our life is so much more enjoyable with him in it, with him in it. So first, God wants to be first in our finances. Second, God wants to be first in our interests. Third, God wants to be first in our relationships. God wants to be first in our relationships. The root word for relationship is relate. When you determine that you want to associate with somebody, partner with somebody, get into contract with somebody, connect with somebody, you want to do that because you relate to them at a certain area, hopefully. I mean... I relate to Donna. I wanted to be in a relationship with Donna. In fact, pastor asked me, he said, what do you want in a wife? This was before we were married. I said, I want somebody who loves God more than I love God, loves to serve God more than I serve God, and won't be jealous as much time as I spend with God. I want somebody blonde hair, blue eyes, and sings like an angel. Her hair was blonde, I promise. <laughs> but everything, God gave me the desires of my heart. Because I put him first in relationship. I put him first in relationship. God wants us not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. That means flirt and convert doesn't work. That means you don't desire to be with somebody and think God's going to change them. God's going to save them. If it's not who you want to be with for the rest of your life now, rest of your life now, don't expect God to change them. But not only in dating and marriage. What about friends? What about business contracts and partnerships? There are relationships that go way beyond marital and dating. They're associative relationships. God wants to be first in those also. Every relationship that you have should build you. Every relationship that you have should strengthen you because it's your choice. It's your choice to be in that relationship. 
You can choose to be in a relationship. You can choose not to be in a relationship. And God wants us to have healthy relationships. God wants us to build. A relationship will do one of two things. It will either build you or tear you down. You will not stay the same in a relationship. It's either going to cause you to grow or it's going to tear you down. And then there's discipleship and mentoring. And when you're discipling somebody, that causes you to reach deep inside of yourself and pull out the, the plans and the per that causes you to reach deep inside of yourself. Let's see. There was a word that I wanted to use. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, relationships. We have to have healthy relationships. So first, God, we have to put God first in our finances. We have to put God first in our interest. We have to put God first in our relationships. And the fourth thing we have to put God first in is our schedule. Do you put God in your schedule? Sometimes we have to make time for God. And sometimes it's hard to fit God in our schedule. I know I have a busy schedule. And it's hard to fit God in our schedule sometimes. But do you wake up and pray? Do you wake up and seek him? It doesn't have to be three hours, two hours, one hour. If we read the Bible 15 minutes a day, we can read the Bible through in one year. Just 15 minutes a day. And if you do that every day for the next rest of your life, imagine how much word gets inside of you. Imagine how much that builds your inner man, that builds your spiritual man. We have to feed the spirit. We have to feed the spirit because he learn, yearns to be fed. He yearns to grow. So we have to fit God in our schedule. We have to give God time. The spirit yearns to be fed. I saw a video a long time ago. It was a stupid video. Can I use that word? It was, it, it was this guy who had these monkeys in his trunk, trunk monkeys, okay? This guy would ride around all day, and when the need would arise, he would push the button, his trunk would pop open, and these monkeys would jump out and do what he needed them to do. So the video showed the guy riding, and all of a sudden he pulls up to the red light, and these people were coming carjacking. So he pushed the button, the trunk opened up, the monkeys jumped out, banged the guy on top of the head, jumped back in his trunk, and he took off. And then he went grocery shopping, and he was trying to struggle with all the groceries to get back to the car. So he took his remote, popped the trunk, the monkeys jumped out, grabbed the groceries, put it in the car, and jumped back in the trunk. But sometimes we treat God like that. Sometimes we only call God when it's a 911 emergency call. Sometimes we only reach out to God like a genie in the lamp and rub it and say, hey, I need you to help me. I need $275 by Thursday. I'm praying for a breakthrough. You know, you know. <laughs> Sometimes we treat God like that. But God wants to be in our schedule. He wants to time. Lord, help us make time for you when it's not an emergency call. Help us make time for you, Lord God, when all we want to do is relate, when all we want to do is relationship. When all we want to do is pray with you, Lord God, and know more of you. Show us your ways. Show us your face, Lord. Reveal yourself to us. Lord, let it not be an emergency call. Help us to fit you in our schedule, Lord God. When Jesus is king, we fit him into the schedule. 
When Jesus is king, we make him first. When Jesus is king, we put God first in finances. We put God first in our interests. We put God first in relationship. When Jesus is king, we fit God into the schedule. And the last thing that we have to put God first in is troubles. Troubles. Do we put God first in our troubles? Whew, I feel the Holy Spirit up here right now. You know, what's the first thing do we turn to? Do we turn to the medicine? Do we turn to Facebook and say, how do I get out of this? Do we turn to the phone and call the pastor? I want you to call me. If you don't have my phone number, get with me. I will give it to you. Call me anytime. But I want you to go to God first. I want you to go to the Father and give him the opportunity first. If you want medicine to help you, medicine will help you. And medicine's provided by doctors who were probably led by God to make the medicine to help us. But give God opportunity. Give God opportunity. I wish there were so many times that I would have prayed for Donna that I didn't. And she, we went straight to the medicine. And there were times that we did pray and God came through miraculously. Miraculously. But we, do we go to God first in our troubles? In our troubles. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace in the help in time of need. That's be in Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can go before the Father anytime we're in need, anytime we're in trouble, anytime we need help, anytime we need his assistance. Because we're sons, because Jesus is king, because Jesus is king. If we put Jesus first, we will have his perspective. If Jesus is king and we put him first in finances, in interest, in relationship, in schedule, and in troubles, then we'll become prayer warriors. We'll become intercessors. When we put Jesus first, he'll release the potential that he placed inside of us. When we put Jesus first and he's king, then we'll get the provisions of heaven because he owns all of the donuts. And when we put Jesus first, we'll be positive people. And when we're positive people, we'll stand out. We'll be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, the lender, not the borrower. Because positive people, people look to him. As leaders, people look to them as being blessed. I've had people say, I want what you have. Well, if you want what I have, you got to serve the God that I serve. You got to start believing the God that I believe. You got to come out of your comfort zone and start doing what God called you to do. If we put God first, if Jesus is king, if Jesus is king, he will unveil, unlock, and unleash the promises and blessings and mysteries of God the Father, or that mysteries that are in the Bible. If Jesus is king, if Jesus is king, and I want to speak this over you today, that you'll begin to have a revelation of the promises, that you'll begin to receive the promises of God, and that you'll begin to release the promises of God into your family, release the promises of God into your friends, release the promises of God into your community and your neighbors, and see God be king of your life. Because King Jesus, because he is king. Let's close in prayer.
Could y'all stand up with me? Praise you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Father, that you are king. Regardless of what the world thinks, regardless of what the world thinks, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. Lord, we crown you king of our life. We ask you to be king of our life. Heavenly Father, we, we receive the potential that you've placed inside of us, Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord God, for that potential that you've placed in each one of us. Lord, we thank you for the perspective that you've placed and that you're going to give to us. Heavenly Father, as your spirit dwells in us, we gain a new perspective on life. We see things from the heavenly round. We see things from a spiritual perspective. We don't see the forest for the trees, but we see from the mountaintops. We see tops of mountains, Lord. We see down into the valleys. We see the river that flows through the valleys. We know that life is meant to be lived in the valleys, Lord God. But we thank you that as we are in the valley, as we're walking amidst the predators and the thorns and the briars and treading through the deep valleys, we thank you, Lord God, that your spirit is walking with us and you give us a godly perspective. Lord, we thank you that that river runs from the throne of God. It runs over the threshold, Lord God, and it flows down the mountain and into the valleys. And we thank you that everything that river touches comes to life and is healed, Lord God, because that's your perspective. That's your perspective. That's your word. Lord, we thank you that we're a praying people, that we're prayer conscious. Lord, we thank you that you've placed your word inside of our hearts, that we can pray your word, that we could pray scriptures, Lord God. Lord, we thank you that your word says to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Lord, we pray. We are praying people for our families, for our friends, for loved ones. We pray for Irwinville, Lord God, that your spirit would go out into the community and prepare the hearts and draw people, draw people to you, Lord God. Let them come to know you as king. Let people of Irwinville come to know you as king of kings and lord of lords. Lord, we thank you for making us positive people, for causing us to be optimistic, for not causing us to be pessimistic, but giving us the promises that we can stand on and knowing that your promises are yes and amen and that you're a faithful God and a just God. And as we stand on your promises, they come into fruition. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you are who you are, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can stand on your promises. Lord, we thank you for provision. We thank you, Lord God, that you own all the donuts. And we thank you, Lord God, that you give us the desires of our heart. Lord, your word says, let a man commit his ways to the Lord. And you'll establish his thoughts. Lord, let our thoughts be on you. Let our thoughts be toward you. Let you captivate our interest, Lord God. Build the interest up inside of us. Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Father, because you're such an awesome God. You're such an awesome Father. You're such an awesome King, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be citizens of your kingdom. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, 
to be light shining in the darkness, to be the salt of the earth. Lord God, give us opportunity this week to minister to the lost. Give us opportunities this week to pray with people, Lord God. Give us time to fit you into the schedule as we make time for you, Lord God. Lord, and I pray for each one here tonight. While I was preaching, Father, you told them, you placed on their hearts that they needed breakthroughs in finances. You placed in their hearts that they needed breakthroughs in relationships. You placed in their hearts that they may have needed healings in their family. Lord God, I just ask you to minister to those needs tonight. Lord, we know that you give us the desires of our heart. And our heart's desire is more of you. Our heart's desire is to serve you, Lord God. We praise you and we love you, Father. We give you praise and glory. If anybody has any specific needs, I'll be here at the front. And I would love to pray with you. I'd love to stand and believe that God is going to give you the breakthroughs that the Holy Spirit revealed to you while I was preaching. If you need prayer, don't miss this opportunity for us to pray with you, to stand with you and believe. If you need prayer, come up now while we stay in the attitude of prayer. If God put something on your heart, if God revealed something to you, if you need prayer, just come up now.